Pius XIII was a great poem, but life evolves in spite of us. I'm the new poem. Who is the Pope now? Welcome to Papal Bull Resurrection, fanbite.com's New Pope podcast. I am one of your hosts, Merritt Kay, features and trending editor at fanbite.com. Joining me, as always, is Eric Thurm, fanbite's chief liturgical correspondent and Hello. special oh. guest this week. Uh, we are joined by fanbite head of media, uh, John Warren, and also currently editor in chief, also. Yeah, no, I, I have a million titles. Also, can we just go back to Eric for one second? I sure. mean, you, you stepped all over Eric's uh, hello. Please, I did. Eric. I did. Tell uh, us, sorry, hold on tell one second. Us hello. <clears throat> hello. It's the C, perfect. That's all we needed, Merritt. And, and that's all it took. It wow. took one second. Wow, John, I invite you on my podcast and you're already like giving me notes. Huh? I, I will I will say before we like really get into this one, I'm gonna need everyone to firmly commit to not crossing their legs while we're recording. <laughs> oh my god. I was I was so upset that Marilyn Manson was not my episode, but then I started the, this one and I was like, oh fuck, okay, this is good. <laughs> uh it's very, very good. Uh, before we start talking about that, because that does open the episode, let's do our, our uh, recurring segment, Confessional, where we ask our, our guests to tell us about their relationship with Catholicism and with the new Pope. It can be, the answer can be none. The answer can be well, extremely in-depth. I know for a fact that the answer is not none. because It's not none. <laughs> John told me a story uh, a couple weeks ago that is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, that's kind that, of like wild. That relates to his relationship with the Catholic Church and with the Pontiff himself. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. I, just to, I've heard this. Or do we want to do the story now, or do we want to save it for later in the, it, the episode? It. I. I have no. I have no. I, I have. I have nothing to say about Catholicism really, except for that story. I did. I did see a man on the way to my coffee this morning that was wearing a Galatians two twenty shirt. Um, so I was like, I'm feeling very Christian this morning anyway. Um, what is that? Well, Galatians is one of the, the books of the Bible. And yes. uh, uh, I don't remember Galatians 2.20 by heart, but it's... Uh, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Yep, that's it. That's, that's the one. Anyway, he was... <laughs> He was talking very loudly on a cell phone about what sounded like a drug deal. So <laughs> it, it, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was good. I, it, it's really up to y'all. I, I, I can tell the whole story now. My, my relationship with Catholicism aside from that is fairly nothing. I, I lived in Buenos Aires for three years where Catholicism was like a fairly prominent thing, but my parents took me to a, uh, very kind of new agey, like all denominational, uh, like expatriate church uh, there. And then I was kind of raised in the Methodist tradition, which is nothing. It's, it's nothing. Mm. Methodism is nothing. Um, but that's that's really my only experience with with God. Um, my parents were both raised Episcopalian. And so 
um, I definitely had experiences when I was young with communion that that reflected kind of the Catholic tradition because a lot of Episcopalian churches kind of reflect some of those same uh, ceremonies. Um, I was completely squicked out when everyone was sharing wine goblets uh, at the church that my parents um, took me to in their hometown. Um, I was like, this is so, this is so unhygienic. Um, and the, the wafers with Jesus on them, I don't know if, like there are two types of crackers there's bread and then there's crackers and, and then there's wafers and the, the crackers look like dog food and the bread was my favorite, but it was always kind of like Jimmy John's smell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, but the ones that had Jesus on them were so coated in plastic. It it really like like printed on them. Yeah. So, um, printed in them. Yeah, that's, that's transubstantiation. Oh, you gotta. I see. Yeah, I mean, how do you know you're eating the body of Christ if it's not on the cracker? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I'm yeah, just picturing I, like a Jesus animal cracker. Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, really good. It's a, but it's just a lamb. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> here's the ark, and here's the lamb, and here's, yeah, no. Um, I my my parents are very involved in the Methodist church and that they, they helped kind of grow a, uh, what is almost essentially a super church at this point in Plano, Texas. Um, and I'm very not involved with them. I stopped going to church after I was, I think I was like 17 and they did four sermons in a row about tithing, which was, <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, <laughs> wait a second here. Um, and, and I was always kind of like um, bored with church. Um, and I never really felt like I was ever talking to God. I always felt like I was kind of, um, I don't know, uh, secretly hoping that I would hear from God at some point. But, you know, when that never came and then all the actual people doing uh, church stuff kind of bummed me out. I was like, okay, I'm going to piece out of this. And my mom really wishes I would just go back to church with her. And I love her. And uh, maybe I'll go once or twice every couple of years. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of my relationship with the church. We can we can start the episode. I mean, maybe maybe me meeting the pontiff is... That's is, a tease. Uh, maybe that's the prestige. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I also okay. do want to... Um, I almost want to ask like what yeah. Episcopalianism is, but I feel like the mystery is more important. I, to me. Oh God, I I don't know. I I don't know. I I wish I could. I wish I had. I I I done some kind of research, basically just in my family and some other stuff to to kind of answer some of these questions. But what is Episcopalianism is uh, not uh, at the front of my brain. Sorry. That's. That's great, though, because I almost don't want to know. Mystery. I don't know. I, I know that in Tyler, Texas, it's a big deal. So what, whatever the fuck that tells you. Tyler? Yeah, Tyler. That's in East Texas. It's kind of, it's probably like an hour uh, outside Louisiana. Huh. Yep. Well. Tyler uh, Durden, Texas. What? Tyler Durden, uh, anyway. Texas. <laughs> uh, speaking of, yeah, you know who else had uh, an invisible friend who looked like Brad Pitt? Um, I guess not Jesus, like Judas, maybe, or like not Judas <laughs> yeah. either. Sort of like post-resurrection, 
that would what be are the, you talking about? i don't know i was trying to do a like youth pastor fight club thing and it like did not quite it, it didn't gel really okay. much like much like the ending of fight club it did not quite come together uh-huh chuck, um, chuck palinux the bible it would, i mean chuck palinux uh passion of the christ would be like basically the same movie probably <laughs> um yeah let's but let's let's get into this starting with a a different person who uh was very well regarded in the 1990s uh (laughs) sharon stone who uh is the second celebrity to visit pope john paul iii uh and this scene has a very different tone from the manson one uh and i think we we merit we talked about this a little bit when we rewatched the episode uh john do you have a preference between those two sort of celebrity sightings they were both so good. I, 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 one, I absolutely loved um, the facial work that Marilyn Manson did. I mean, I, I was hollering uh, in my kitchen just watching him grimace and, uh, I don't know, make, make fucking Jim from the office faces at, <laughs> at, uh, at the Pope in not knowing who he was. And I don't know. I thought that was really fucking funny. There were a lot of weird choices in that conversation. I kind of felt like, uh, not, not to get into the episode that we didn't watch for this, but it's like, I thought it was odd that, you know, they establish, uh, John Brannix as this guy who was a musician in his past life, kind of a punk. Right. And I thought it was kind of odd that it was like, Oh, Marilyn Manson just doesn't know this guy, but maybe I'm kind of misreading how famous John actually was before, becoming the pope i i that that was kind of unclear to me but the sharon stone stuff was like so good and it was written by someone obviously that doesn't give a shit that like most of the younger hbo audience one has no fucking idea who sharon stone is really because she hasn't really done anything since like catwoman um and um i don't know i just i just i love the attachment to this basic instinct thing even though mm-hmm. like i don't know who that's for but it was so i don't know i just really i i, I did really love that Hmm. yeah i think well so she did notably uh uh on hbo sharon stone starred in the steven soderbergh limited series slash app mosaic uh oh which actually God, i forgot about pretty that. pretty good actually um I mean, I think I think you can safely say that like everything on this show is written by someone who does not understand the sort of like younger <laughs> HBO audience. That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, but it is it's like the thing that is weird to me about this scene. I think I have a slight preference for the Manson one just because this scene feels like the whole thing is like a basic instinct joke. Um, yeah, which is good, but it feels almost it, it feels similar to the the scene in episode three when Brannix is like i don't particularly care for john malkovich right. um, oh, God. where it kind yeah, of like the, crosses the line of 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 the, being too sort of winky yeah the the oceans 13 or whatever where julia roberts is mm-hmm. plays against julia roberts yeah which that's that's great i will like defend ocean that aspect of oceans 12 to the death but like this is not oceans 12 there's no sort of like religious heist going on but there is although except i guess he does steal her shoes maybe Mm. that's a thing we should sort of like dig into because they're an -hmm. overwhelming theme of this episode i think is going to be like this pope is just like ridiculously horny like we knew Mm -hmm. that he was horny going in uh but this episode really ramps up his his sort of 
background smoldering. Um, yep. And he 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 really kicks that off by flirting with Sharon Stone uh, and sort of demanding that she give him a gift because she she's like, well, isn't my presence enough of a gift? And he says, not unless you stay here for the rest of your life. And just like without <laughs> saying a word, she takes off her shoes and, and the Pope says, we will really put them. Really awkwardly takes off her shoes yeah. because she's not allowed to like uncross her legs. And so he's like <laughs> trying to take them off and slide them over. It, it, that was actually a very good piece of physical acting. I mm-hmm. thought just her mm-hmm. trying to uh, to take off her Louboutins without uh, uncrossing her legs is very good. Uh, and yeah, Brannick says we will we will put them in a most special reliquary, and then just sort of apropos nothing, he says, "You have beautiful feet." Yeah, he does, doesn't he? But yeah. they're too large. Yeah, but they're like a little <laughs> bit big. Um, yeah, yeah. She, she said that was her only flaw: is that my feet are too big. I would like. <laughs> I just imagine a pope just saying to someone, like, just saying to his celeb <laughs> that they have good feet. Just like, uh, it's like it's just that he just gets so much. Like in the course of like five minutes, he just becomes completely unhinged. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. imagine the headline that's like Pope to Ariana Grande. Oh nice, my God. nice feet, right? <laughs> pope, pope pope discovered to have secret vatican like feet pics account well they're just keeping the shoes somewhere like it's like they're just gonna be next to like some saint's bones forever now yeah or they're yeah, gonna yeah, be yeah. next to his bedside with oh, the, yeah, with the yeah. box um with the box yeah yeah with the box he'll, he'll just find a million millipedes in those shoes and oh you know the next morning uh yeah but so this this aside because i think sort of like the prospect of trying to think about the pope having a foot fetish like maybe breaks my brain a little bit too much uh (laughs) maybe we could talk about sort of her because she unlike marilyn manson has a request uh a thing that she wants the pope to do uh Mm -hmm. which is to let uh to open catholicism to gay marriage uh and it's very dramatic and it's just like there's like almost like a a you know, a felt piano sting of like, because uh, of course he's not going to do it. Like, you know, uh, and he, he, they have this whole conversation about, alas, the Bible is not an iPhone. Uh, well, and- yeah. It, it, I, and I love that because he, he kind of, um, kind of flatters her by bringing up her IQ and talking about how smart she is and kind of going along with this metaphor uh, which would come back later in the episode, which was, I don't know, kind of funny in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, but he, he also admits, which I think is interesting. He admits that he, that like, morally speaking, roughly he should. He admitted. Yeah. He, oh yeah. my God. He admitted. Oh my God. He admitted. <laughs> he admitted he loved his, his uh, holy mother-in-law. Um, because he says, you know, this won't happen until there's like sort of a revolutionary, Pope, who's, like, really willing to break with this level of tradition. Uh, but he's like, that's not me, because I, you know, am too sort of, like, meek. Uh, and I, I find that really interesting that he he sort of is this willing to acknowledge that tension. Um, yeah. Because, I don't know, like, especially given sort of what he wants to do later in the episode. Right, uh, yeah. Uh, and he, you know, but but the, even after that, he sort of like shuts this down, uh, and then 
just like asks for advice on how to make the church more quote eloquent. And I I do love I love the sort of like thread of this season that he doesn't know how to run the church and is just like taking cues from the celebs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just listens to the last person who like gave him a piece of advice. Which honestly, it, again, like we haven't touched this theme in a while. Extremely relatable millennial pope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I I ab- ab- so absolutely if I was like, oh yeah, like Ari, you know, like like I, I don't know why I'm so fixated on Ariana Grande, but like just. Like a scene where he he like is talking and she's like, "Yeah, I like a donut to show how much I hate America." And then he just like goes out and gives a speech and is like, "I hate America." (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, yeah, he. I I do enjoy that. You know, you're you're. He he seemed to have things so together in that earlier episode where they go find him at as the state. And I mean, it, I mean, together in the sense that he kind of knows what he wants and, um, you know, he seems like he may have a plan, but I don't know. The more we get to know this guy, it's clear. He just listens to people he admires and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hmm, that's a that's a pretty good idea. He's, he's porcelain, right? Like he yeah. I feel like in retrospect, he feels so together in the mansion precisely because it is like a space he has spent decades carving out for mm. himself where he doesn't have to make choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and in this episode especially he gets confronted with a lot of like hard choices yep. um but before we get into those i would love to take a second to sort of dig into the big piece of physical comedy in this scene which is uh when she does cross her legs uh because there's like this wall of priests that's like standing there and they all sort of have these like very similar kind of like lumpy faces um and he does this like he does a gesture as if he's like a big shot at an italian restaurant like ordering another (laughs) bottle of wine like he just kind of like rotates his hand 90 Mm -hmm. degrees and they all just like in unison turn and look away while she crosses her legs uh which he then articulates as being a huge sacrifice yeah 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 how did you how, how did you feel about that uh this bit of physical comedy merit uh i mean (laughs) it's just like (laughs) i don't know this pope is just just a mess um but also like a beautiful mess he's like just a beautiful disaster because he is a poet i feel like and uh even though he sucks at being a pope um as the past couple of episodes have shown and i think this one will continue to show uh, he does it in a very attractive way. Like he, he, he fails very beautifully. But like this, <laughs> this whole scene with like, oh, one day we will appreciate the beauty of sacrifice, but not today. Like, pretty good. It's also it's good. Oh, he again, like this. He is the character that you would have expected the sort of like abstract young pope to be. Like, yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't have like a real sense of identity. He keeps being like, I'm totally going to get my shit together, but not today. Like, it, it's just beautiful. Um, which, which Yeah, he, he, he did it, that whole physical bit reminded me of like, I don't know, um, like the ringleader of a villainous like teenage group in a like a, a TGIF sitcom that like will snap and get all of his little buddies to do something. And I'm like, wow, I, that needs to be his thing for the rest of the season. Yeah, Pope Fonz. It's just, you know, big, big. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very Fonz. 
Um, I mean, he needs to just elbow a jukebox to get it to work next, and that's that's all we need. And then just all of a sudden, Ave! <laughs> like yeah. everyone's like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Like that's a miracle. Uh, we need the papal jukebox. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of which, we get uh, a sort of even more extended version of the dance scene uh, oh in God, the, yeah. the opening titles, which I think is most notable because we have now fully transitioned to the nuns doing acrobatics for some reason. Um. Yeah, they're just yeah, like I mean, it's, doing it's flips, acrobatics, and like really, uh, really solid like floor moves. Yeah, um, which is, yeah, I mean, it, there, there's an evolution here. I'm, I almost can't wait to see because I haven't watched ahead. I, I almost can't wait to see what episode nine's intro is. It really, they're, yeah, they, they, they just love, uh, they love doing this dancing, and we, we were sort of talking about this a little bit when we were rewatching the episode about the like intensity level of these dance scenes almost as a barometer of how politically fed up the nuns are yeah uh because they sort of have gotten more and more elaborate as the nuns ramp up their sort of cold war Mm -hmm. uh with voyello which i think is really interesting i mean no fucking wi-fi hello right as a work I would also go, you know, I would also uh, dramatically ramp up uh, my sort of, like, political campaign if I was like, shit, like, I can't even post about the fact that I'm mad at Voyello. Uh, <laughs> once, you can you can take my political power and force me to be a cloistered nun, but you can never take my posting. Uh, the, the Vatican Discord is super quiet right yes. now. <laughs> they gotta, uh, they, they've they've got to get, they, those keyboard warriors have got to get back listen, online. Listen, listen, like, my clan is raiding in like three hours and we need Vatican Wi-Fi. God. I'm the DPS. No. <laughs> the devotion per second. Jeez. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Uh well it's oh never mind. I was about to do a real a real in bad taste transition to the thing that happens right after the opening credits. Um <laughs> So I will not do the in bad taste transition and just say uh, that ISIS is back. I- ISIS is back. Hey, hey, you remember, remember ISIS? ISIS? Yeah, you yeah. guys remember ISIS? They're, they're, they're here. Uh, they're they're we we cut after the opening credits to a beach uh, in Lourdes, France, uh, <laughs> where there was apparently a a massacre at like what appears to be some sort of senior home. There are you know sort of older yeah. people in like wheelchairs. Yeah. Uh, who also I think are sort of visually supposed to invoke uh, Branix's parents, um, right? Oh yeah, no, I I want in that very first shot, I thought it was because I I just kind of forgot what Branix's mom looked like. Mm-hmm. I just thought Branix's mom was just like either napping or it's like oh this is where they die. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then it then it then it pans out, and that maybe maybe before we like go chronologically, do you want to talk like? How how do we feel about the Pope's response to this? <laughs> he has a very interesting, I would say, sort of like PR move. Well, yeah, he decides to just basically do that one office gif of uh, Steve Carell going, no, and shares it. That's basically what it was. Yeah. Um, this is a very office. It, I think I think Paolo Sorrentino uh uh, just watched a lot of The Office and was like, okay, we need Jim faces. Okay, we need Steve Carell yelling no. Um, uh, I don't, yeah, I, it, it was an interesting move. I, I, it, I, I, it seemed like it worked. Like it kind of mobilized people to um, 
get get kind of on his side uh, in a way that, um, you know, he I don't think he had really felt that kind of support from the public before. Of course, it was completely undermined by the end of the episode, which we'll get to. But um, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty wild. The, the, the shots in that scene were gorgeous. He he definitely is framed, I think, as like the most papal that he has been in the show. Yeah, this yeah. is the moment that he became truly paper. God. <laughs> no, but like, it, it really, it really, like, he, he, because he and Sophia have all these conversations about his, like, authority and authoritativeness, and I, I do think that this is a, a visual moment in which he is, like, granted that level of authority by the show. Um, yeah. Like, he looks great. He's, like, wearing the full white that he, like, normally does not do. Uh, mm-hmm. and he, he, you know, is like, I believe a bunch of the shots are from below and he, you know, does the sort of, it looks like he's like putting together a spirit bomb when he like raises his <laughs> arms, uh, which is basically what he's doing and, and just says yeah. no. And everyone just starts chanting with him kind of like a slow, cl- I mean, again, kind of a teen slow clap, uh, kind of deal that then basically culminates in the, the revenge of the Sith ending uh darth vader no, no. Uh, um can can i can i go back just one second absolutely and something out? okay <laughs> okay because this is this will be a recurring theme in this episode uh and not to be morbid how did how did how did those people die that's a great question a i had that thought question. as well yeah okay um also hey how did they get on that fucking beach? Because it was so rocky. I know. If you try to bring a fucking wheelchair <laughs> onto a beach with that many pebbles on it, good fucking luck. I mean, I what I think happened is that the the terrorists were like, okay, let's take them out to the let's take them to the, the let's take them to the the shore. Um, and they got there and they were like, okay, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna do this? And then he just hit one snag of rocks and dumped the old people out, and then they died anyway. And it was like, okay, fuck, we did it. Because it's really hard to it's really hard to maneuver on rocks like that. And so I don't know. I just I I got the sense that yes, there was probably an old folks home nearby, but I'm like, this is clearly uh written and framed by someone that's never actually tried to push a uh, a loaded wheelchair onto a rocky beach. Mm-hmm. It was just a really a funny observation. Oh. Um but yeah, I that you know, it was a startling scene. Um, I probably would have yelled no, 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 too. Uh, I don't know. It was wild. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll get into to more of those sort of weird <laughs> yeah. juxtapositions of like maybe Palos yeah. Tino not knowing how bodies do um later in the episode. Uh, but there is sort of this whole debate over how they're supposed to respond. Um right. and and you get the sense you know, that, like, broadly speaking, Voyello wants them to take sort of, like, diplomatic but real measures to, like, I don't know what that would mean, really. Like, it seems like maybe Voyello well, wants them to negotiate with ISIS, but, like, that seems weird. Yeah, I I, that's that's the weird thing is that, I mean, the, the only, like, clear thing that Sophia wanted the Pope not to do is say Islam. Yeah. Or just, you know, just... Don't don't invoke that at all because you know that's clearly not what is uh, 
quite happening here. But yeah, I also don't really like that's the thing. You know, it's an interesting thread of the season and I have no idea where it's going and it's obviously going somewhere. But like, I, I don't know what they, you know, they're like, how do we respond to this? I'm like, you're not the head of state. Like, what are you, what do you want to do? Well, he is a head of state though. Ah, yeah. I mean, it's like a fake state. I mean, yeah, you're you're not wrong. But I mean, that's I, what's so weird about the Vatican. Like, that's what puts them in such yeah, a weird position. It, it it is a weird position. Um, and I mean, they're already clashing with the Italian government. Uh, and now they're kind of acting as this, I don't know, uh, religious state that has to respond to uh, neo ISIS. And uh, yeah, I don't know it. It, it's kind of a, str- I, I just don't know where it's going. And, and I think, you know, that's, there, there's something exciting about that, but I'm also like, you know, what, what is the responsibility of the Pope here? You know See, what I mean? No, no. I'll say like, I think one of the big things about these scenes is it seems like nobody knows like what they're supposed right. to do. Like Sophia, right. I feel like Sophia is kind of like the network executive sitting in the meeting. Who's like, guys, I really, really love what you're doing. Really, like, this is great. Really loving the direction that this whole project is going. We have one note about the word Islamic. We would love for you guys to take that after. <laughs> um, which is, like, a good note. Um, yeah, but that, totally. That that then there's this sort of question, this tension between his role as a religious figure and his role as, like, a head of state. Um which comes through in this conversation that they have about putting out a longer statement. Uh, right. Because he he says, the vulgar act of explanation must fall to others. And he doesn't he doesn't want to expound on the no. Um, and Voyella's mm-hmm. like, okay, but like we have to do something. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting, a really like genuinely interesting tension uh, that he, you know, is sort of trying to internalize. Um you know, he even is like, I must be fully prepared so as to not disappoint Voyello. Uh, and right. and Voyello is the only person consistently who is kind of like, okay, but like, what do we actually do? What are we doing mm-hmm. here, guys? Yeah, guys, come on. What are we doing here? Um, yeah, and and you know, I, I don't. He he does not seem to know. Uh, but we do no. we do get uh sort of in the middle of their their figuring this out. Do we want to jump back to the the earlier Voyello scene? Oh my god, yeah. Um when he meets Bauer in that theater. In an empty movie theater. Where they're playing like oh some god. kind of weird, schlocky, possibly porn movie that like I couldn't find what it was. Like we tried looking okay. it up and uh Merit, I I was like, what is this? And then it dawned on me that it was filmed in a way to me that it was filmed for this show. It's a fake movie. Yeah. It's a fake movie. Don't, I actually think it's not. Really? Um, Yeah. But I will, I will, I will, I have to like go way back into my, uh, my Google search history because I think I actually, I tried searching like the dialogue and like all that comes up is scripts for this episode. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe. Um, it, it looked so fake because it, it does so, look fake. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like something that Jenna Maroney would make in Thirty Rock. <laughs> I can't, you know, it's just like, yeah, I was, yeah, it, it just seems so perfectly like, um, I don't, I don't know. There, there were like minor themes in that film that were on display in the episode itself that I was like, this is too perfect for this to have existed before now. So I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't find anything either when I when I searched for it. Uh, there is uh, notably a lot of important mirroring with Bauer in that there are also characters in this potentially fake movie that are vaping. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it really just like this whole conversation is so weird because it, it basically seems like they're sort of deepening their alliance against the other like conspirator team of Tomas, yeah. uh, Spalletta, and the fucking, like, deer in headlights Italian finance minister. Yeah, Creep Squad. Yeah. Creep Crew. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because it's like, I don't know, we were talking about this when we rest the episode. I kind of like Bauer now. Uh, He's, like, actually kind of good and funny at being that guy yeah yeah i mean he's good at that yeah for sure like because it's like it's like the other conspirators are like not fun to watch like no, tomas tomas is like so not fun to watch he just like makes me sad every time he shows up on screen but bauer mm-hmm. he just like it looks like he just is like really he has like a big a bib tied on and he's getting ready to chew the scenery and you're like mm-hmm. hell yeah dude and he's just like yes like the, and he's like Voyel's like how is the movie it's like shit it's terrible <laughs> well like because the, the other conspirators are like as far as we know basically just like driven by self-interest and like greed and he he says that right and so like it's not really that interesting to watch them like doing drugs and like just trying to like enrich themselves whereas Bauer has kind of this like less uh clear motivation which is like right. he's working for some kind of possibly the Italian government possibly like the secret police or something yeah, he's definitely a spook of some he kind he is a spook yeah, yeah. he's like yeah, Italian yeah, yeah. CIA yeah, um something along those lines and uh but his whole thing is just basically like ensuring stability whatever that really means um, and just c- helping the Vatican, like, not fall apart in the face of all of these threats. Which explains his, I think, explains his alliance with Voyello very well. Because that also is, like, Voyello's primary goal. Uh, and they right. just sort of have different, like, tactics and, and you know, strategies for achieving that. What, what, do you, what do you think prosperity means to that camp? Like, do you think it's just maintaining their wealth? I mean, Voyello has like it's you know a, not a compl- he doesn't have a complete lack of moral center not not a complete i mean listen he's not above murder but i guess i mean like i i don't it's i don't know he he's super machiavellian i guess but also not not like fundamentally evil i don't i don't know i don't know how to describe Buello anymore that's really interesting because i think we sort of have like differing opinions about this with a lot of people maybe i like really do not perceive voyello as being like a particularly villainous character i don't don't either i i don't either he's just kind of like (laughs) even though he's like yeah he's just a sad dude that like i guess is never gonna get really he's never gonna get picked for varsity so he's just decided to just like okay well i gotta just stick it out in my my role here and um even though i've got a fucking doppelganger everyone likes better um you know like i don't know it, it he's such a he's such a sad little man but i don't see him as as the villain of the show i see him as just having his machinations and but but i'm not, i'm not always clear about what they are because you'll see him have this kind of like private family life that seems 
actually warm and interesting and he does seem to actually have love in his heart but like i can't totally i i don't really gather what prosperity in the vatican is for voyello specifically and that's something that is um vexing but also kind of keeping me hanging on like what what does he really want i i have a a thought about this that i don't think we talked about before and I, i i would love to throw this out and see what you guys think I think, and I, I think I've read people talking about this before too, but that Voyello is basically like a liberal, and I, I don't <laughs> not, but not liberal in sort of the American. I mean, a little bit in right. that sense, in that his understanding of prosperity is like the pre-existing order is like basically good. There are sort of small steps that we can take to improve things, uh, mm-hmm. which you sort of get the strongest sense of in his unwillingness to let hernandez become pope because of his like complicitness in in sex abuse so like there clearly are things that he cares about but he doesn't care enough about any of them to say this is like a hill or some of them are but that his version of prosperity is like incrementalism and that he is willing to do all of this kind of like nasty shit to ensure that the incrementalism, like that process continues in sort of like small and reasonable steps. Uh, And honestly, I think this makes me like liberals more than like any other, like he's, he's basically the West wing, the West wing uh, Pope or uh, secretary of state. Uh, And he, he, I mean, he literally is the secretary of state uh and that that he does a really good job i think of like internalizing like what those compromises look like and the things that you have to do in order to commit to that vision of marginal change that's actually a really good point because i i you know i'm i'm not <laughs> i'm i'm not a liberal i do believe in sweeping major change when it when it's needed but i this show has gotten me to understand why that's hard institutionally. I mean, just kind of seeing the support from outside and inside kind of um, it be so hard to get even for small changes. And um, yeah, like every single decision is so scrutinized. Like they do almost a better job than like any other political drama of making me kind of understand why that's difficult in a way that feels realistic. but it still, you know, it doesn't make me agree with that. But it also kind of does give me a bit of an understanding that I'm not sure I, uh, I, I totally had before watching the show. Oddly enough, yeah, because I, I, institutions I think are like inherently conservative, and yeah, he really is this guy who is like understands the conservative nature and like this institution especially, and he's mm-hmm. like, okay, like how do we make the thing happen? Uh, which yeah. actually raises, because I want to very quickly talk about a different thing that that we discussed uh, yesterday, uh, which is whether whether how Voyello would feel about letting you know gay marriage or these other changes into the church. Because I think you can get a pretty good sense of what most of the other cardinals would say. But I don't know. Do you, do you think that Voyello would would uh, if he? sort of uh ruled the world would mm. would let gay people get married in the church i think he would do it but only as a stepping stone to letting people marry priceless uh artworks and uh fertility goddess statues mm, i see <laughs> it's kind of like a stepping stone to that um and uh he's not brave enough to come out and speak the name of his love but he feels like if he normalizes <laughs> this stuff then uh 
then he'll be like, yeah, you know, it's, it shouldn't be any different if, you know, uh, a man loves a woman, a woman loves a woman, a uh, man loves a statue. It's all the same, you know? Love is love. That's, I think that's our answer to what prosperity looks like for Voyello. Is being able <laughs> to go great. public. Yeah, right. I, was over, I was overthinking it. <laughs> He's just like, look, I, I want to marry the Venus of Willendorf. <laughs> <laughs> uh he yeah like he he god like yeah and i I think he he sort of would be like oh i don't know like maybe but and he he's the person who like immediately you know like uh i think thinks of all the things that could go wrong and is just like very nervous about all of this stuff in a way that i think other characters are not um yeah, because he knows what can go wrong. Uh, yes. Do we do we want to jump ahead? I think we have two sort of paths. We can either jump ahead to and keep talking about Voyello and his sort of non work life, uh, or we can talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Sophia and sort of because there's a lot of Sophia and then Sophia and Brandex like meet in this episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine either way. Do you have a preference, a dealer's choice for for which one you want to do first? Um. Oh gosh, let's talk about Sophia first. Okay, so then that's perfect because we can jump back a little bit to sort of while yeah. they're thinking about this, right? And Voilo and Sophia. I think this is actually a good a good connection point because there's a scene later in the episode where you know the Pope like asks Sophia about Voyello. And she says, basically, like, we work very well together. Like, we're very good colleagues. Um, And I think that they actually have very similar understandings of the world in a lot of ways. Uh, Which says a lot both about, like, what Sophia's goals are, but also about the fact that Voyello is part of the Vatican, but also sees it a little bit from this outside perspective, where, like, a lot of the other cardinals obviously can't because their entire life is the church. And Voyello right. is like, yeah, but like, what are they going to say about us after the you know column about the Napoli game, um, which <laughs> yeah. which comes out of a very alarming thing that happens in which the Pope gives Sophia the private number of the papal apartment, um, in a a scene that also includes and there's like a lot of really interesting camera work with them in this scene because there's this shot where she's standing in front of this painting of, I believe, an angel hovering over a child. And she just stands there. And then he just, like, walks into the frame, which is this, like, static frame, which is weird and not something that happens often in this show. Um, No. But that he sort of is, like, perpetually approaching her uh, and that she starts to realize that, I think, in this episode. It's just very... It's really weird and alarming because he does that. And then very quickly afterward, we see the glory hole again in in the apartment. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is, I think we can confirm now, is like real, right? Because I think last week we were talking to to, to Sean about the fact that maybe this was a, a sort of like. A fantasy. Yeah. And nope. Right. Because uh, she looks nope. she looks through the, the glory hole and she sees Tomas just like fucking doing blow. They just hired a contractor to be like, oh, we need a hole in this wall. 
And he's just like, why? And they're like, don't worry about it. So where, where, at, where, at exactly this height. Yeah, like, where 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 do you want the hole to be? A uh, dick height? Sorry, what's that? <laughs> Sorry, what? Who? Just <laughs> we have to sna- we have to snake very specific wires through here to get the, the to get the the uh, surround sound to work. Um, don't don't worry about it being any bigger than a dick. Please. God. And specifically, I'll I'll give you the measurements. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> like the sort of like circumference and girth of like this particular dick. Uh, uh, although, which is interesting because that is like it's very out of place in the apartment. Like Mary, we were talking about the the way that her their apartment it feels like a museum. It has this yeah. very sort of chic minimalism, but that also there are all of these like artifacts and things that are sort of recessed into the walls. And I don't know what we're supposed to take away from that about like their lives and about what they like value in their spaces. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of going back to the, just the, the, the design of the glory hole. You would almost think that maybe it would be in a place that's just not so fucking out there like i don't know it was just so like it's unmistakable what that is so i just i just love the idea of people walking into that apartment being like oh oh because it is so minimal there aren't that many like focal points it feels like and so it's just like oh okay there there's that there's that one piece of art there's a contemporary chair Oh, there's that i feel like tomas is the kind of guy who like would have people over and just be like huh <laughs> you guys, that? you guys, you, you guys like the glory hole. Do you get it? I had that, I had that custom made. <laughs> I know a guy. I know a guy who could drill a hole in a wall. <laughs> Jeez, uh, that's wild. Yeah, but she. It, it is like this thing where because the the glory hole in uh, in episode four is this sort of site of some level of connection between Sophia and Tobias. And in this episode, it distances them because she's looking through it uh, right. and seeing him sort of engaged in this level of depravity that we like don't really know if that's normal for their marriage. Uh, but definitely, we never have seen. I don't. I don't think we've seen Sophia. Like, no railing. I mean, we've seen. We've seen aspects of the relationship that I, I, I've you know cocked my head at. I've been like, well, okay, well, okay. This guy seems like a, a shitbag, but like, like this is clearly, and you're right, really the first episode where you you see that there are aspects of Tomas that actively bother her. Yeah, no, she Sophia does not do cocaine. Like, no, zero percent chance. She doesn't do coke, and she doesn't allow her uh, Dostoevsky reading sessions to be interrupted by weird <laughs> meetings that he has to do. God, this is like the one scene I think that we've ever seen her in like loungewear, like she's right? just wearing yeah, like a yeah. hoodie, like a terry cloth hoodie, and just reading Dostoevsky. Uh-huh. God. just very casually getting down on crime and punishment, and it's like I guess this is what you do in your off hours. I don't know. Uh, yeah, which is especially like. She's just, like, sitting at home, and then, uh, you know, like, she, later in the episode, she calls the Pope. Um, and I think before we get into the, the, their, like, date, their weird date. Their catacomb date. Yeah. Uh, this phone, this phone call, I think, is really interesting in that it, the audio of the phone ringing undergirds this montage of like what 
people are doing uh mm-hmm. and in a way in a way that i think for for us clarified a little bit like what the themes of the season are and like what is going on i don't know uh or do you want to talk about some of the stuff that people are were, are doing like while the while he's like waiting to pick up the phone which as we learn he like has been sitting by the phone oh waiting for a call yeah he's just like he's a teen he is a teen yeah he's just been waiting by his like home phone because he doesn't have a cell phone um are pubs allowed to have cell phones i'm sure they are they just don't. They I bet Francis. Do. do you think mm. Francis has? What if Francis uh, has a phone, but the only thing he uses uses it for is playing Snake? Oh my god! Uh, yeah. yeah, very good. Um, okay, so yeah, I mean, some of the things that happen. Um, uh, oh, Esther has been broken by uh, sex work and uh, hates. Uh, her pimp now, I guess. Hooray. Um uh that nun who was hanging out with uh with Faisal uh is uh Preggers. Mm-hmm. Preggers. Uh and Gutierrez is uh we get the shot of him just like sitting on this hotel room floor while Freddie is in the shower, I think. And yeah. uh, he's just like staring at the minibar and it's like, oh, a callback to the fact that he is an alcoholic, which has not really been mentioned since season one. And everyone... Hey, can, mm-hmm. in, in the middle of that montage, uh, the Reverend Mother... Yes. What was she doing? Uh, she is feeling for a lump that she has. That's what... I, okay, I was like, it looks like she was giving herself a breast exam, but I couldn't yeah, all, like... Right, because okay. in the last episode or the one before, they they find that out... Um, but that's when they're right. surveilling that's them. right and uh yeah which, which continues in this episode yeah he so yeah. luigi yep. knows about this fact that she's pregnant and um uh yeah god that guy's such a fucking creep it's weird that they call it the vatican and not luigi's mansion that's like kind of a weird thing that they <laughs> that they they do in the season <laughs> right it's just like a thing i hadn't thought of before but that that, that, that kind of is what's happening what if we just mentioned just the next one just took place like in the Vatican or in like a church or something. Yeah, and it's all Holy Spirits. It'd be so good. I mean, because the last one was a hotel, which is not a mansion, so there's no no rule that says it can't be in a church. This is this now. This is a jump off point for something completely different. But we need to explore the religious themes of the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, ex- I feel exorcism, like at some point. God, yeah, we can we can come back to a time that I was censored for my religious speech. Oh yeah, um, God. Yeah, which which maybe we'll get into a little bit later. But if you're interested uh, and would uh, let me know if you want to read my uh, censored piece of writing about how Wario should be a rabbi. Uh, I've heard about this. I, I do need to read it. Was cen- it, yeah. it was censored by uh, by big big religion. I, I uh, <laughs> big religion. By my, by my ex-employers. Yes, yeah. big religion. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I would love that. would love to see Luigi in a cassock. Um, but yeah, like, he, they're surveilling. And, and the, the sense that I got, I get from this montage, is that everybody is, like, weaker and sort of lost without the central presence of of Lenny because so much of the first season he really you know like Javier Camaro was saying in our our bonus episode that if you have not listened to uh check it out 
It's uh, very good. That he he sets the time in the Vatican. He decides when things happen and why. And he really is the center of the show in a way that I don't think Brannix is in this season. Um, mm. He I mean, he still is like probably the main character, but, it, you know, he's not the center of gravity in the same way. And I think that you get these really interesting cuts because the this montage is happening and it cuts to Lenny in his his weird hospital room. And the sense that I got was that the call is like really for him, right? That like everyone is like desperately calling, like waiting for him to pick up the phone uh, in this sort of religious way, which also because that is the scene where he first sighs um, while, while this is happening, like, you know, before uh, Brannix actually does pick up the phone and it, it, this, I don't know exactly how to read that, but that there's this connection between Sophia reaching out to Brannix and to the sort of like low states of all the characters and the beginning of this sort of miraculous thing that's happening with Lenny. This countdown. Yeah. The countdown's on, folks. Okay. It's, yeah. And he starts at 4.15. Well, so that's not the first, that's the first one we hear. We don't know if that's the first, I don't think we know I, if that's the first. I think it. I think it is because he says like, oh, the Pope gave 415 breaths and then a sigh. Yeah. And then... <sighs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. It really is. I, I, I got the sense that it was the first one because the, the, uh, the nun looking over him that we never see not in that room. I feel like, uh, kind of ran out of the room, like, holy fuck, uh, you saw it or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like it's a new thing. So but. I looked it up and um, I was trying to figure out if like the number 415 has any kind of significance because like, yeah, they don't you don't just like choose a number at random. Right. I feel like I kind of Not believe I kind of believe that he would do that. Really? Kind of. Yeah. Well, but something like that. Right. Sorrentino is going to be like, that's eh, 415. That's fine. Well, because he has this like maybe. Like, I think he would just say, if you asked him, he would be like, it really felt like the right number, but he would not, like, have, like, a reason for it. Okay. That's well, kind of my... <laughs> okay, anyway, Hebrews 4.15, um, this is the best thing that I could find, is, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's, like, Interesting. pretty applicable. Right? Yeah. That's Lenny, baby. That is, yeah. That's Lenny, baby. And he's he's coming back. Uh, he's coming, the countdown's on. Uh, and he really does, like, because he, he functionally is doing, you know that Family Guy gag uh, <laughs> oh, where Peter, God. Peter, you know, he, he hurts himself and he just goes, <sighs> yeah, and that's, like, basically what's happening right now. Lenny is sort of trapped in a, a spiritual Family Guy episode uh, until he, he <laughs> counts down to one. Um, my favorite thing about this countdown is that it, it sort of brings back one of my, my favorite things about the world of the young and new Pope, which is that the, the Pope as celebrity is like the most important thing in the world. Um, yeah. because, and I, I want to find the exact quote, there's like a, a radio station that sort of notices that the sighing has happened just like by accident, because of course there's like a whole sound team outside of the hospital room for whatever reason. The most powerful boom mic yeah. in mm-hmm. the world. Like a I, year, I don't know. I, 
I, I, I honestly took a note to go into work today and talk to some of the, the sound people at work. I was like, is this even remotely fucking possible? But I don't know. And I, I don't like to get hung up on that stuff, but it did make me laugh. This guy is like a million feet away outside. And he's like, oh, got it. Yeah, he's just like, well, our, our secret bug like picked up the, the noise. <laughs> Uh, and, and they, they broadcast that, of course, they're like stationed there 24 seven. Uh, and they're like, no more music, no more entertainment. We will be broadcasting one thing only Pope Pius the 13th's breathing. Lenny Uh, Bellardo ASMR. Yeah, we're, we're, (laughs) coma ASMR. We're here to Pope to pray to one song and one song only. Um, and everyone is just super into it. And the cult gets like noticeably bigger, uh, there are like yeah. more people out in the square. Branex like doesn't know how to deal with it, right? He's like, turn that off, like turn off that goddamn music. Um, we had also we had also seen uh, the cult leader and and Branex interact for the first time, um, and you know w- w- between the no and a few other choices that they made, I mean, there seemed to be feeling maybe at least at least from where i was sitting that like maybe the tide was starting to turn but then the fact that you know the po- the countdown is obvious like there is a pattern to his sighing it's a clear sign from god to everybody kind of paying attention that you know this is the real pope and he's coming back and like that's obviously going to have like severe ramifications for uh for Brannix's papacy yeah it's a, it's a it's a it's a like very slow burning legitimacy crisis Yep. Um, and there are obviously a lot of other reasons for that that come over the course of uh, the the catacombs date, uh, which maybe we can we can jump back to because he I also love that he he first of all, we see that he has like a billion pipes in his apartment. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. why he just has like a billion pipes like he has like he has like, look, I love two things, pipes and harps, and I'm all out of harps. Um, but he, he answers the phone and says, here I am, which I assume is a biblical reference, uh, to, to Abraham saying, here I am, uh, when God, uh, calls to him. Oh, I, I, I thought it was a scorpions reference. Okay. Say more. <laughs> uh, what, well, what, what verse in chapter in scorpions? Uh, I, I think it's a reference to his desire to rock Sophia like a hurricane. Okay. Yeah. Oh shit. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can can you say a little bit more about how that functions as part of like the broader ecclesiastical canon? Uh, well, he horny though. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, sort of his whole deal. Okay, got with, it. That's, that's his whole deal. Yeah. He nailed it. Uh, so t- we have two sort of equally plausible interpretations uh, mm-hmm. of of this dialogue. Uh, you know, but but he answers and he sort of makes it clear that he's been like waiting for her to call, and he does this. He does the thing that he did in episode uh, three, I think where he basically immediately admits that he's been, like, trying to use a tactic to, like, nag her or, like, make her think that he, like, is not interested. And he's like, I wanted you to think that your call wasn't important. And she's like, okay, but, like, it obviously was because you just said that. And he's like, I guess. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You got me. Yeah. Uh. Oh, my God, he admitted. Uh, but then they, and they go, they go to the catacombs to pray uh, at the tomb of Francis II. And he mm-hmm. asks her, sort of, what do you think? Uh, what do you think happened? And she says, no, I believe the official line. And she, I guess, is the only person who does. Because, like, 
right. is her job to come up with the official line. The official line, right. Uh, which I think is interesting in that, like, she – and she just, like, refuses to admit the possibility that Voyella was maybe involved um, because they have this, like, relationship and she seems to genuinely trust him quite a bit. Um, and and then we get a lot more weird stuff about Brannock specifically, stuff that I don't know how to sort of integrate into our uh, understanding of his character because first we learn – that he's the one who, which I guess is sort of obvious, he's the one who voted for Lenny in the Conclave. Right. Um, because God doesn't like him. And, like, of course, we we could have guessed that. Um, but then he talks about why he's a priest. And, like, this is a buck, to me, this is a, if we have any priests in the audience, tell us if this is why you became a priest. Because to me, this is buck wild. He says religion is a narrative, and it's the most powerful narrative because God is the most popular protagonist in history, and that that makes it sort of more powerful than, like, movies or TV or other forms of art, which also connects back to uh, Sharon Stone telling him, you know, the way to make the church more eloquent is to, like, work with artists. And he's like, but doesn't art, like, die out? And she says, Sharon Stone says, like, yes, but, like, slower. But slower, right. Uh, And it's like, so, like... I don't understand how to interpret this. I don't know. Because it's also not because his parents pushed him into it, I guess. Like, maybe they pushed Adam into it. And he just was like, this seems cool. But I, I don't know how to interpret Like, do you have thoughts on, on this, like, centering of of the sort of story of God? Does he just like telling the story? I, I don't know. Maybe he thinks... It- the real, to me, the real, the true answer is probably so much more boring and safe that maybe this is the kind of thing that he he hangs his hat on in terms of, like, what he tells people. I know that's not a super interesting angle, but, like, you know, I think it's really clear that his family life and how hard his parents pushed his brother uh, into the life and then, you know, always rejected him. I mean, this is clearly, as he stated earlier in the season, kind of, um, you know, that the path and that's kind of why. And I feel like because he said those things on his turf, that's actually more of the truth than whatever this is. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, that's kind of a boring answer. So I don't know. No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what do y'all think? I mean, he's a poet. That's his whole yeah. his whole thing. But I think also he has created that whole character as a response to things that happened in his life. Um, and yeah, I I think you're right that probably behind all this is just boring stuff about family and. Uh, wanting to feel loved and valued, but he can't admit that. I I also have a, another possible interpretation, which is uh, related to what we were talking about earlier in his sort of wishy-washy, his passivity, right? That That he loves celebrities and he loves pop culture and he loves narrative because it tells him what to do 
Mm. Uh, and if God is the most popular narrative and religion is the most popular protagonist, then it just like you if you if you always listen to the last person you talk to, but the last person you talk to is always God, you always do the same thing, and your your life feels like a lot more stable. Um, and maybe that just is a is a sort of like extension of his need to like latch onto other people that feel like they create their own stories more than he does. Well, so what, yeah. So, I mean, what is, what is his ultimate goal? Is it become a better storyteller for himself? Because I mean, what he's done is basically say, yeah, God doesn't like me. And I believe, I believe that I believe he doesn't like him. And I also believe that John also strongly believes this. And I think he's right about it as much as you can be right about uh, a thing that doesn't exist, not liking you. Well, not in this like, world. God definitely. No, did. not in this world, of course. I mean, it's it's super tangible to to everyone in this world. So, like, I, I believe all those things. So it's kind of it is an interesting idea that he's like, okay, uh, this <laughs> this guy that doesn't like me, uh, I want to be so close to him uh, because he's the best storyteller that's ever existed um but he hates my guts is he even trying to be more liked by god like i don't i don't <laughs> i don't know if he cares about being liked by god is the thing i don't know yeah it's, it's especially because right after this he talks about what his ostensible priority is as the pope <laughs> and he says that in the interview that he sort of has been putting off doing for a while he wants to talk about pedophilia and sexual abuse in the church and he's like, this is the thing that I want to deal with. And I, this really does come out of nowhere, I think. Like, and in, a, in such a way that it highlights that he doesn't have actual priorities, that you're like, this is the big thing that you care about? Like, I guess. Right. I he, think it doesn't come out of nowhere because uh, the speech that he gives to the Cardinals is basically about this. It is a little bit, but it's not, it still doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like he's laying that out in a way that is like, this is what I want my legacy or my like big priority to be as the Pope. Or at least it, 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 that speech felt to me like it was one of a few different things he was trying. Sure. Uh, and in this one, yeah. he's like, but this is the thing I always wanted to do. And it's like, okay, I guess. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't know... Because he says, if we forgive them, then like that's bad. But if we punish them, that's also bad. Uh, because sick loves, uh, cannot be treated, uh, which I was, you know, I'm, I'm just going to sort of imagine the opening, uh, riff of tainted love, like recurring throughout this episode. <laughs> um, uh, and that that's like his theory and that this is happening in a scene where the camera is pushing in on their, their faces and like Pranix is, they're like a foot away. Like it really does look yeah. like they're just about to start fucking making out. Um, yeah. Uh, and that maybe his real objective, which actually, since we're talking about Brannock's real objective, is that he then pivots from this to saying that he wants priests to be able to marry, um, which is equally, I feel like, as alarming as, uh, uh, you know, Sharon Stone's pitch for gay marriage. But in this time, it's important because he himself is horny. Right. It, it's it's on him. I mean, that's what he wants. I mean, it, during... Um... Gutierrez's confession he's obviously like visualizing all the stuff and I guess it was in the previous episode but uh uh you know because because it's his uh horny fantasy he's like oh yeah I can get on board with this um 
And I, again, I, I alluded to this earlier, but I just loved that, um, you know, when it was Sharon Stone saying, you know, you got to upgrade the Bible like an iPhone. He was like, oh, you're, you're a genius. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, but it's hard. And then Sophia kind of, come, you know, d- delivers the same metaphor. And he was just like, you're silly. You know, <laughs> like you can't, I don't know. I just thought that was, I, I thought that was a funny, uh, I just thought it was a funny interaction um, the bible is not an iphone it's not an iphone um it is a just y a, phone. Observ- an observation in that vein uh, john malkovich has been so good in the season this accent is killing me say, say more about that how how so <laughs> it, it, it is just it's it, it's like i I've been watching too much of that Eric Singer guy on uh, Wired. Like he does those, like you know, those videos where it's like I break down uh, seventeen actors that have done accents, and I'm one of those people that when I hear um, uh, Liam Neeson or Benedict Cumberbatch do an American accent, I like crawl completely out of my skin because it's so wild. Hello, I am Doctor Strange. <laughs> I'm here to do your surgery. Taxes. Yeah, right. And but for me, John Malkovich is just like I I swear episode nine is going to be like, oh, actually, we found out John Brannix doesn't exist. And this is literally John Malkovich doing the worst fucking English accent I've ever heard in my life. Just like parading around like, oh, yeah, you caught me. I'm the new. Person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh, you found I'm the new. Oh, Wait, that just is making it's- me think about. Fucking Mike Myers doing that. That's like almost Austin Powers' voice. I'm the new Pope, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. John Malkovich has been, I I just, I love his performance in the show. It's just, it it is, there are scenes where it kills me because he is, he is latching on to like the most cartoonish pronunciations of some of these words. Um, And I don't know, it really came out in that catacomb scene for me. Yeah, he's got he he just hates those sick loves. Uh, yeah, and I I I caught you. I feel like you have a, a theory about this about you you basically think he's right about this. Um. Yeah, I mean, in general, I think his whole thing is like I think that speech he gave the Cardinals like it was a little rambling, but I think he's basically like correct in that like i don't know if he's correct in like the whole oh this will reduce like abuse in the church letting priests marry um because i don't think that that is just about frustrated sexual desire um like pretty obviously but i think his whole thing about like oh um like most of these problems are by people like misunderstanding what love is or by like or yeah by just basically um acting on their emotions in a way that is counterproductive um because of these ideas that love is like something that you can't control or you can't direct in different ways or whatever and um yeah i don't know like it's it's i mean conflating impulsiveness with pedophilia yeah that's yeah it's like but but i mean i do i do think that like some of the problems like the i i think i think it's like okay the solution for 
uh, rooting out pedophilia in the church really is, I, I think, fairly simple in the sense of like, OK, yes, like turn people in, prosecute them, get them out of the church uh, that, you know, God still loves them, I guess. It was kind of like what what he was saying, but it's like they can't be you can't sit with us, though. Yeah. Um, right. It's like that that seems to be like a fairly simple, not not in execution, but I guess in concept to me to be like, yeah, if we really wanted to do this, we could do it. But the, they're more they're more, uh, I think. um more subtle ways in which the priesthood is difficult in ways that it probably doesn't have to be. And I think eliminating aspects of that impulsiveness, those desires that I don't think are necessarily morally bad, uh, except in this one tradition, um, you know, it's like tradition is the worst reason to do something. Uh, but the Catholic church is only tradition, right? So they have to just completely they have to pick one every blue moon to basically go, OK, well, we can. Oh, God damn. Yeah, this is tough to to uphold. So, yeah, let's maybe relax this a little bit. And I mean, that would be a big one. That would be a huge one. And yeah, it serves his horniness very selfishly. But I also think it would solve some issues, but it's it wouldn't solve, uh, I think, the more dangerous ones. Yeah, it's just an interesting, it's like a weird solution to this problem. Uh, and that he, yeah. he like, I don't know. I, I I also do think that he, on some level, him saying that everyone's problem is that they don't love correctly is just because people don't love him. <laughs> right? Like, Sophia doesn't like, or at least does not love him the way that he wants her to. I, I'm not sure that that's true. Well, I'm just saying they haven't fucked. Yeah, but I don't think he's that, like, I think his well, horniness is more complex than that. And, like, I don't, I don't think this is entirely self-interested. No, I don't think so either. I just think that, like, it, it again, is, like, this sort of deep-seated... Right, because he his entire life story is about not being loved, is about his parents loving Adam instead of him, God loving Adam instead of him. Even now, we get, right, he tells them to turn off the radio when they're playing the breathing because it reminds <laughs> him of the fact that everyone loves Lenny instead of him, right? Like, during this entire scene when everyone realizes what's happening, just everyone on the show is just hooting and hollering, like, right. Esther gets in the car and, like, runs to go to Venice, seemingly. Like, everyone just is like, we gotta show up for, for our main man, Lenny, because he's breathing weird. And and, <laughs> and Brannix is like, what the fuck, guys? Like, I'm right here. Uh, and I, 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 don't, I don't say that to suggest that his entire thing is self-interested, but that he has this very particular experience with love and sort of a lack thereof that informs his understanding of like sin and of, of like what problems in the world are constituted by. Well, Merritt elaborate just for a second about, cause I think, I think I know what you mean, or, or at least I, I agree with you that his horniness is probably more complex, but like, what, what do you think that takes the shape of? I mean, would it, kind of like the Voyello thing, like speculating what his true nature is, is, is a little bit difficult, but I'm curious what you mean by that. Uh, well, <laughs> I think he is mostly horny for validation. 
um, because mm. he is this character who ha- was not loved by his parents and um, has s- another, theme another theme in the show and uh, seems to basically have had no adult relationships of any kind. And I'm not just, I don't just mean like sexual or romantic ones, but like he doesn't seem to have yeah, right. friends or anything either. Like mm-hmm. he has people who call him and ask for advice and he talks to people and converts them. But he's like this weird recluse who doesn't have human contact. And kind of paradoxically, when he becomes the Pope, he actually is exposed to like more human contact and more intimacy than he ever was before in his life. Um, and he's suddenly That's very true. close to this person who, uh, he is kind of like enthralled by and who uh, maybe seems to like represent a lot of these things that he's like never had before. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, if he's horny, it's in the manner of like a teen boy because he is effectively like a stunted child um, in a lot of ways. Like he's very intellectual, but emotionally he is just a total disaster. Do you think Meghan Markle actually calls him? Oh, do I think he was maybe just faking the whole time? Well, that that's that's a thought I had after yeah, both I actually... watch, after watching both Marilyn Manson and Sharon Stone because I, I kind of got this idea of John Brannix as this as a, kind of a known entity, yeah, and and you know, someone who was kind of entering entering the papacy as already a minor celebrity. Well, in I some think way. he was a minor celebrity in England, yeah. but as we all know, that does not really mean much. Um, that means nothing. That means you were on season 804 of Big Brother and you got ousted in the first right. time. You would not do well on like, Big Brother. Yeah, no, unless you're uh... a... <laughs> terrible on Big Brother. <laughs> he's, right. he's on, John Brannix is on Sick Love Island. Like, okay, so people people who like are like um, Anglophiles on Tumblr are like posting gifts of him maybe, but like no one else knows who he is. He's He's... Yeah, no, it... At, at any sort of royal function, they'll see him, you know, 20 pews back and they'll go, oh, my God, that's John Brannix. Yeah, yeah I mean, there are sort of there's like there's right. like a tabloid piece that's like who gives Meghan Markle her fashion tips. Yeah. And okay. that's the, maybe, that's maybe the, Meghan does. Well, maybe Meghan does I, call him. But I, I did have the thought I was maybe the first. Maybe I think she does. The first time she does. I think the second time she doesn't. Because okay. uh, the first time Sophia is not there. But he, I think that she does do it sometimes, but that then he definitely, like, is very dramatic about it the second time. It is like, ugh, Megan, which is extremely good, uh, that he's like, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this. Talk Uh, about a sick love. I'm going to love it when we find out that Megan Markle is actually the third person that has his apartment number. God, yeah, it's just like, (laughs) Megan, how did you get to this number? (laughs) Can we pivot a little bit? Because I feel like we've, like, talked a lot about john brannix and his whole deal and um he seems to have made like a very strong choice in this episode and um we're all very excited to see how that plays out and i'm sure it will go completely fine um and he (laughs) won't have any kind of issues but um i want to talk about so the austere subplot doesn't really get a lot of attention in this episode like basically she we just get this sense that she's like done that she's like uh Something she's just like reached a breaking point and she leaves, uh, and uh, like kind of leaves in the middle of the night with with Pias, and um, and uh, the other subplot um, is Voyello and Girolamo, um, 
Voyelle is kind of like wandering in the wilderness in this episode, um, literally like and, uh, you know, uh, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes to this greenhouse and uh, meets his like old mentor, I guess, or like old friend who is like a million years old. Um, yeah. And uh, cannot like and basically just cannot like see or hear or anything at this point. And there's a weird kind of scene. Uh, <laughs> and that I think kind of brings us to one of the broader points that I wanted to discuss, uh, which is this show's views on disability. Because pretty wild. they are kind of all over the place. And this has been a theme since The Young Pope. And we definitely talked about it in the first season of this podcast, which is like the ways that I think in the first season, what we saw a lot of was um, this kind of uncomfortable tension with this character of Girolamo being used kind of as a prop uh, to humanize Voyello, I think. Um, I right. think in the first season, it was kind of a shortcut to uh to making him to, to making him seem more human right it was like oh well, he can't be that evil look he he cares for this disabled child um and i think that relationship gets fleshed out a little more in this season but then we also have that whole subplot with the with the sex, sex work. work and it being filmed in this very horror movie kind of way mm, um yep. and uh yeah it's it's kind of weird um and i think generally this show's approach to disability is like either using disabled characters as like props or like images or icons or as um a sort of there's this other thread of like like having like childlike innocence and like holiness uh and both aspects like they're not really people so uh, I would say, and I'll give, I'm, I'm going to give uh, Sorrentino like the benefit of the doubt for a moment before I talk about how, how busted it okay. is. Um, the church for me, in my experience, treats disabled people either piteously, piteously uh, or is that even a word? It, it's super a word. We're either... We're okay. We're either we're either objects of pity or object objects of uh, miracle. I feel mm. like where there's there, there's something to be saved or cured or um or to be frightened of. I think, and I, I did encounter that a lot. And I can I can give you a couple of examples, uh, or, or deified in a way, kind of as a uh, a, a personification of this, uh, you know, lamb-like innocence. You are a miracle because you're here, and you're a miracle because you survived, and you're still alive, and God's love is flowing through you. And even though you, you know, in in the mix of the two, very deftly, mm-hmm. these uh, these church figures that I've grown up with, um, kind of kind of weave in and out of both, um. I remember I was covering um, I, I was the I was the editor in chief of my tiny college's newspaper. And we went to a uh, Planned Parenthood in Sherman, Texas, where there was a shooting. Someone had just shot out the window and I went to go uh, interview like, you know, the people running the clinic and basically just see what the what the deal was and if they were still scared and 
if they felt like they were being protected by local police and blah, 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 blah. And outside, there were a group of protesters that were uh, obviously religiously affiliated and saying, like, you know, nasty shit about, you know, uh, abortion and the people going into the clinic and stuff like that. And I was there to just basically take a statement from the protesters. And I was in my wheelchair and they all three, all three of these these women that were there, uh, they they wanted to save me. They said they uh, if I really believed in God, um, you know, I, I might not be in a wheelchair, you know, and stuff like that, you know. And, and so there's this kind of like this pity and scorn and kind of like, you know, sometimes it's a reflection of God's love leaving you. Mm. Um, but at the same time, because you've, you've persisted and you still are in this earthly plane, you're kind of looked at as uh, a miracle of God's uh, love and power. And there is, <laughs> for, for some people, there is no in between. And for this show, there certainly seems like there's no in between because, you know, there's there's this there's this very it, and it's hard not to feel something during the scene uh, where Viello, Voyello's mentor and Girolamo, uh, uh, God, how do you say his name? Girolamo. Girolamo, gosh, uh, it, where you know Voyello's mentor and Girolamo, they they have this kind of moment, and it's hard not to not to be moved by how everyone else is moved just kind of visually in, in this moment of kind of happiness and uh, recognition and rejoicing. Like it's, you know, it's, it's human nature to look at that and go, okay. But I, as someone who has kind of experienced this kind of feeling all my life mm -hmm. of, um, wow, what a, what a little miracle like that, that sucks. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I, you know that that felt weird. the The other hilarious part, just just really quickly, is getting to this greenhouse was through basically this Roman ruin. Uh -huh. It looked like, which um, <laughs> that shit, that shit, that the, the, you just you're not getting in that without a crew basically lifting a wheelchair up and down those ruins. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was really funny, but um, yeah, and then and then you're you're right. Like the scenes with uh, with Esther and in, in the and the, the disabled like village kid um it's 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 filmed exactly like a, a horror film i mean it reminded me a lot of like lon cheney like wolfman mm -hmm. uh kind of framing you know from 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 the 30s and like it was just like a weird awful thing and and um there is no in between in the show so giving giving him the benefit of the doubt for a moment that kind of rang true to me kind of growing up in the church that there really are these two speeds. Right. Now it'd be great if the show decided to go, okay, here's a third option that you haven't considered, but, <laughs> but um, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I totally agree. I had, I, I talked to um, uh, Alice Wong, who's a, a disability activist and hosts a, a, a podcast about, um, media disability for a, a piece that will will about that stuff that will uh, hopefully be coming out uh, was supposed to be pegged to this episode and will probably come out a little bit later. But one of the things that she mentioned 
is that is this like right it's like everyone sort of is either like an angel or uh like a monster in some capacity right and that you don't even like one of the things about these characters is that you don't even though even if you sort of like grant which I, i think i largely do that part of the reason that the show is making these choices is because this is like how they're seen by the church Uh, You don't get the sense that they have any subjectivity beyond that, right? There's no, like, what does Girolamo think? Like, what does Don Nemo think? Like, you know, with the exception of, and as a sort of third example for this, the abbess uh, of the convent, who is sort of like, you know, is, uh, uh, you know, has some form of dwarfism, um but yeah. who the show yeah. does not comment on in that capacity. Yeah, and in fact, delivers some of the funniest lines in in the show so far. Um, and, and and so yeah, in that way, and and that's and that's uh, that's honestly my shortcoming as someone who uh, fancies myself as a extre- extraordinarily minor disability activist is that sometimes I do, I I kind of miss. <sighs> This is this is why talking about disability is tough because it's like, uh, yes, like dwarfism absolutely occupies the same space, and they and they absolutely encounter these exact same problem. Um, but I, I just you know I didn't even consider that. I was like, yeah, that is that is a third option in the show, and they don't really comment on that. And she she has this autonomy and has is in a leadership position and is part of these important conversations. So that's, that's a good point. I hadn't really considered. I was kind of focusing on the the other aspects. I I do love that the like most salient character trait of the abbess is that she's a huge Mark. Uh, Mm -hmm. Right. That like, that like every time they have a meeting with Voyello, Voyello will like propose this thing. That's like obvious bait. And she just like goes for it. And Lisa is like, no, 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 Sorrentino, and we talked to Sean about this last week, that Sorrentino is really interested in, like, the human form in a sort of variety of non-normative ways, right? Where, like, Jude Law is sort of the only, and, like, to a slightly lesser extent, Cécile de France are, like, the only hot people on this show. (laughs) Uh, And even, you know, she is, like, I would say not... And even Jude Law is, like, hot in this movie star, like, very weird, like, severe way, but that that's the whole point of the character, and that so much of the show is about people who don't look like they should be in these sort of, like, public-facing positions, right, with this focus on, like, Fiello and... The the facial casting of the show is great. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot has been written and discussed about that. I think that's true. A quick observation, it's wild that Jude Law in new pope and young pope looks more like his weird android character from ai than any <laughs> other he's done like he looks so much like him he looks he has this kind of porcelain quality i don't know if that's just like you know, botox that they they do on set but um yeah he does have this very like kind of uh perfect quality to him that not not really anyone else on the show does just real real quick i think 
I think one of the ways that it is a a cheap way of exploring uh, disabled autonomy is kind of sexuality, but it's also I think a totally valid way to do it. And I think like um, I, it, one of the toughest aspects of this show to watch was the discussion around um, you know Esther and the sexuality of this boy who is. quote so obviously disfigured it's no no wonder no one's ever Mm -hmm. been with him you know like that that's that now that rings um god yeah that that aspect of it was something that i think was difficult for me to watch not not because i really experienced a lot of that in fact like i think um you know, that's something that I, I kind of got over and explored like earlier than, um, you know, a lot of my peers actually, but like, I think, but, but it's definitely something I struggled with. And I think it's one of those things that's the most, the most obvious thing to latch onto, um, for writers who aren't disabled to go like, well, what's sex like? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I went, when I, when I went to go see, uh, murder ball, it was a documentary about those, like, oh, yeah. uh, uh, wheelchair rugby yeah. basically. And I was there with with like I don't know, literally ten of my friends, and they they get there's this one scene where they uh, this paraplegic he has to basically have this like swing like this elaborate swing to use his arms to thrust in and out of of his wife because they want to have kids and they just want to have sex and and uh, you know it's an elaborate system but it's you know it's like it's like a video game controller <laughs> you know like you just need something that's more elaborate in order to get it to work um but but like i just remember all my friends l- leaning toward me like leaning forward and looking over at me <sighs> hey, is this how it's done like do you have one of these things because this is this it you know and it was it was funny but at, but at the same time it also did clue me into like Okay, all of y'all have this like weird curiosity about it, and you have no fucking idea where to even begin to like ask or 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 explore this in any like meaningful, realistic way. And so, I really don't expect anyone that's not disabled to explore this in a way that isn't um, like complete bullshit, <laughs> honestly. Um, but but it, it you know it's like the the two sides of the way the church looks at disability i think is genuinely explored here the the problem is is that i really don't think i don't get any sort of sense that they're going to explore it any deeper than that and that's i mean that's a bit of a shame i guess i wish they would but i also don't know what room they have to do that it seems like kind of a footnote maybe after this episode it's it's like a it's just a for me it's just a tonal thing like, you know, we've been talking yeah. about the filmmaking choices in this, this, the Esther plot. And it's like, you could do this plot and not this like sort of basic plot and not have it feel as no, sort of right. dis, as like off-putting as it is, because it's all, right. all about the choices and like how this character is lit and how, right. It's like how you're supposed to feel yeah. about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know what we're supposed to. I'll I'll say I'll I'll definitely t- there was there was one shot that that I I went oh fuck uh, just kind of in my my own head uh, the shot where Esther disrobes 
And so the first time she at the at the end of, I guess, episode three or four, I can't remember. Um, she just robes and uh, the, the, the boy grabs her breast and she leaves. Mm-hmm. And there, the, the, the difference in the second encounter is that he reaches for her waist. And it's more of a like not grabby kind of thing. But there's a shot in both scenes where you see his uh, clubbed fingers kind of reach out into the the void and you see this kind of like uh hand that does not strike a uh i I think a non-disabled person as like looking particularly normal i guess and i recognize those club fingers because i have the same kind of witchy long fingers and i kind of was like on one hand i'm like wow like that i've actually i've never seen that in my face on an HBO show before. So that was really interesting, but it also, I bummed me the fuck out mm-hmm. to be like, okay, the shot, this is the shot that is supposed to basically horrify Esther into running away. And so there's something so interesting about how Sorrentino, I guess, is aware enough of uh, aspects of disability that like, I think maybe people don't think about a lot, but also, uh, you know, also was kind of a bummer for me to watch. Just this kind of like, okay, well, yeah, I guess that's horrifying, huh? All right, <laughs> you know. So it's it, it was it was it was interesting. Um, I'll say that. Like I, you know, when y'all asked me when y'all were asking for folks to discuss disability for the show, I was like, hmm, I wonder why. And then I got to episode three, four, and five, and I was like, ah, okay, <laughs> okay, here it is. So, um, it, it ramps up. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. It gets yeah. worse. It just gets worse. I, I believe it. Uh, John, do you, do you want to uh, tell that story about yeah. the Vatican? I, I can, yeah. And I, I'll, I'll try to keep it brisk, but it's like... Yeah, I think uh, it'd be a good way for us to... Yeah, to... to do I, we so want to wrap on this? I, I do. Yeah. I mean, unless there's other stuff we want to talk about. I feel like we've been going for... Yeah, we've, we've hit the <laughs> hour and 30 minutes I mark. Hit, I think we've hit the high notes, yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm happy to tell you. Oh, about oh my, wait. Before okay. so we end on that, I just also want to say, yeah. uh, can we just take a moment to like collectively appreciate the this episode's end credit dance sequence with the Naruto monks oh, with the, so the Naruto good. monks using their like headlamps as basically like rave lights, which is incredible. It's really good. The, the end credit sequences of the season have been like incredible so far. I've really loved uh, all of them. Yeah, just I, I just wanted to sort of say that out loud because it really is beautiful. And also, we have been waiting for the Naruto really monks to come back. It's really good. Uh, so when I was eleven, my uh, parents took me to uh, Venice and Rome. Uh, it's very nice of them. Um, my wardrobe mostly consisted of like Space Jam T-shirts at mm-hmm. the time, and uh, so I. I, you know, I, I wanted to see the Sistine Chapel because I had, you know, I, I'd gotten really into Renaissance art as a kid um, because it was just so, uh, there was something so bleak about it that really fascinated me as a kid. And um, my, that my parents took me to the Vatican because they wanted to go see the Sistine Chapel. And we knew that Pope John Paul II was giving an address that day. Uh, but we had been, told by someone at the hotel okay and and this this is an aspect of the story that i'm not totally clear on 
But we were told by someone at the hotel that it would actually be a good day to go if we wanted to explore the Vatican grounds because basically everyone would be there to see the Pope. So no one would really be like exploring the actual uh, the actual interior. So we were like, okay, let's you go. You could have met the kangaroo. And so we get there. You Wait, could have what? met the kangaroo. I could have. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so we 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 explored some parts of the Vatican, and then uh, we kind of we had to go into uh, St. Peter's Square in order to cross into the Sistine Chapel. And it was super, super crowded. And of course, the the Swiss guard kind of, you know, caught us and asked us what we wanted, you know, where we were trying to go. And in our broken Italian, which we were terrible at, uh, we tried to say we were going to the Sistine Chapel. And then we, in English, we were just like, we're trying to go to the Sistine Chapel. And then someone who was in a suit, not part of the Swiss guard, came over and asked us in English uh, if we wanted to meet the Pope. And... <laughs> Uh-huh. which was which was, which was strange <laughs> and and i said no because I, yeah I, you're a kid you don't and, and, the, and this that clown <laughs> well and this and this is this is this is actually very thematically relevant because like even as a child i um i had been asked to do things like be part of jerry lewis's like mda telephone oh my god and like and like do shit that would put me at the forefront like be a poster child for like disability awareness and i did not want to do that i wanted to be a kid yeah. with interests and and whatever and like i'm not saying that that kids that do that and they they actually decide they want to do that and genuinely want to i'm not that's not a judgment it's just me i, I just wanted to be a kid with a brain and like a life yeah. and well you know, and, and, and autonomy. Like, yeah. Right? And I'm thinking like, so, you know, if, if someone asked me when I was 11, if I want to meet the Pope, I'd be like, fuck no, I don't want to like be, I don't I feel like most like, kids I, don't want to be like, no, I definitely would have met the Pope. Right. You would have. Well, I don't know. I think if I had met the Pope, I would have been like, I think if I had met the Pope when I was 10 or 11, I would have asked him, uh, about the Holy grail. Mm. I'd be like, you know where that shit is? Like, do you guys have that? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that movie um do you guys, yeah. you guys like uh yeah, you guys like I, angels and demons yeah I, I definitely actually would have been like oh like <laughs> is like is, is this dan brown shit true <laughs> uh, yeah so I, I i was kind of like no no and my parents like they knew that they knew what was being like they had a historical context of like wait are you fucking kidding me like we can meet the pope like like that that's that's a wild story right you know and so i think my parents they never pressured me into fucking anything which i love but they did kind of look at me like hey john <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like this is a this is a pretty big deal yeah come uh, on and i was like i was like oh, okay and it's in the it's in the middle of the fucking summer so roman july and the sun is out and so we go up this this ramp, this huge ramp, up to where the Pope will speak, and we're basically ushered. And and I didn't understand that either. They were like, "Do you want to meet the Pope?" I'm like, "Sure." Not, "Do you want to sit next to the Pope for four fucking hours and listen to him give an address to St. Peter's Square for this entire time, and also bless an entire convent from like Uganda, and like also this this you know." He has this basically parade of people that um, that you know are there to be blessed by him, 
And so we, we sit there, I'm panicking. I'm just like, this fucking sucks. And my parents are kind of get like slowly gathering. Oh my God, we're going to be here for, for a long time. But I, you know, yeah, sure. Let's just nod and grin and say, okay, sure. And so we're up there and we, they sat us kind of on the end and the Pope mobile comes and everyone's cheering. And so I got to see the Pope mobile drive up this ramp and John Paul II gets out and gives an address in Latin, Italian, German, and Spanish, I believe. Um, says the exact same thing five times, or at least I have to imagine he was. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe that would be fucking awesome if he just said something different in every language. Um, and then, yeah, uh, we we had to line up and uh, at the end of the thing, and Pope John Paul II did the little cross on my head, and there's a photo of us that I can uh, send to you. I know I've sent it to Merit. Uh, and yeah, it's just me in this little stripy t-shirt kind of looking up at this guy that I don't give a shit about, <laughs> but I'm still like, I guess this is a big deal. Um, unfortunately I can still not beat Shaq in one-on-one, -on -one, uh, basketball. So uh, obviously him blessing me didn't do shit for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, that was really wild. And it was a very, uh, it it mean it means so much to Catholics that I feel a twinge of guilt that this happened, and I don't fucking care mm -hmm. about it. Um, but but it but at the same time, I'm like it. It's still it, it was still very interesting to be uh, for a, a nanosecond uh, in this kind of world. And I mean, as I would understand, as I got older, John Paul Paul II was a pretty conservative pope i mean i guess they all are uh, uh, compared to my standards but it's like you know not someone i would have been psyched to have met <laughs> but that's it that's it i mean it's it's really something that i you know i don't know anyone else who who can say that they've met a pope uh let alone been blessed by one in front of uh the entire vatican so it was kind of wild well i i did interview jude law before uh the season started okay <laughs> Well, there you go. I mean, that's it's like basically the same you know, thing. Frankly, if Jude Law was like, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna you know put my thumb on your forehead," I'd be like, "Oh yeah, hell yeah, dude, let's do it." I'd be excited if he did yeah, it. Yeah, talented pastor Ripley. Um, yeah, and if John Malkovich did it, I would just insist that he uses his uh, his accent. Hello, I'm the new pope. <laughs> I am the new pope. I'm the new pope. How do you feel um, about destiny? <laughs> anyway, the punchline of that story is that we didn't get to see the chapel. Oh, no. <laughs> Aww. Uh, no, we, we went back the next day. They, the, the Vatican actually sent a car for us to uh, pick us up because they knew we were trying to see the Sistine Chapel and then basically like closed by the time the pope uh, finished his, uh, his address. So they brought us back to see the Sistine Chapel the next day, which is cool. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's me meeting the Pope. Wow, that's pretty wild. That is really really wild. Do you do you feel like this yeah. experience gave you any uh, sort of special insight that uh uh you can sort of bring to our collective understanding of this television show? Uh, um, I think you know, but. The idea that the 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 pontiff has this kind of like uh, staff that handles a lot of stuff uh, for him, I feel like is a uh, 
a weird concept uh for for people but it's like I, oh oh sorry i actually i accidentally muted myself um i i think like him having this entire like staff of people that do things for him uh th- i got some insight into that and i got the insight into the vatican being this place with a lot of like political stuff going on that i didn't quite understand until i was a little bit older so yeah a lot of the stuff that i see in the new pope i'm like oh, okay like it, this this checks out from what i saw at the vatican uh with a lot less like going to the la pieta and just like staring at it for hours because that's a good sculpture um but yeah no i mean no no real insight um you heard it here folks yeah, it's just very strange the new pope is a thousand a hundred percent accurate about the vatican a, mi- a million percent accurate. I mean, dance parties uh, completely canon in that world. God, that would be great. What a dream it would be to to dance in the Vatican <laughs> in the in great. the pale moonlight. Gosh. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that'll pretty much do it. I think episode. so. That's yeah, it. we'll wrap up. We've almost hit the two hour mark. Um. Yeah. Uh. John, uh, what's your uh, what's your Twitter? <laughs> you can find me at floppy adult on Twitter. Yes. Um, and, yeah. you know, you can find John's other stuff at the website that we both work for. Uh, fanbyte.com. <laughs> uh, please go, please go to fanbyte.com. Read all of our content. Listen to our other podcasts on this feed. And I think there's another one now. Maybe? Yeah, is there is late lunch on, on its this own one? thing? It's on late its own lunch thing. is on its own thing. It's a very good show uh, that John and social editor Nikki Grayson do. It's probably the funniest thing that we do on this website. Um, so go listen to that. And um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Merritt K. Eric is at Eric Therm. And uh, anything else, or is that it? No, I think I think we're good. Just if you have not, uh, if you've been sort of following us on our journey through the new pope and have not listened to our special interview with Javier Camara, I I urge you to check it out. Oh yeah, listen to that. He is Very lovely. Good. He he seems like such a sweet man. He does so delightful. Like really, yeah, really really cool. Yeah, he's great. Listen to that episode and uh, come back next week for another episode of Papable Resurrection. Yep. And until then... Uh, Thanks for having me. We're We're the Popes Popes now. now. Bye. Who is the Pope now? Who is the Pope?